welcome to the Audit 15 Fund podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. Today, we're going to be talking about report ratings. And to talk about that topic, I have Chris Patrick as my guest. Chris is the head of internal audit at Figure Technologies. He's a certified internal auditor with over 20 years of experience auditing financial services and technology companies. Welcome, Chris, to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, John. The pleasure's all mine. Appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So you you wrote an article on this topic, uh, hence why we're having the conversation. I thought it was a very thought-provoking article on this. So uh, from a report rating perspective, you know, in, in a perfect world where executive management, the board, audit committee, everybody agrees on how it should be reported. How would you report observations from a project in a report? Would it be, how would you rate, I should say? Would would it be the individual observations only? Would it be the report? Would it be both or neither one? Great question. And uh, I think it's sort of a nuanced response that I've got. Um, so I've, I've, I've struggled with this. This is why I wrote an article about it. I've struggled with this uh, topic professionally um, for some time. And um, so let's, let's back up a moment and, and I guess go back in time and, and figure out, try to figure out where this started, where this came from. So when I first got out of school and, and entered into the internal audit world, we're talking you know, 20 plus years ago at this point. I remember going to, you know, internal audit training boot camp, whatever you want to call it, for beginner for beginners. And, and that was a concept at the time that was sort of pushed that I recall that you know, we are expected to, you know, provide an overall rating um, to the audit. And uh, that's something that I practiced for a long time. Um, but it does create some challenges, at least in my experience. So, you know, you mentioned I'm a certified internal auditor. And, um, you know, so therefore, I, I perform all of my audit procedures. I use the methodology um, required by EIA. And uh, I hope everybody's familiar with the uh, Institute of Internal Auditors. You know, it's a professional um, audits organization. And if, if you haven't been associated or affiliated with them, I highly recommend it. But they really set the standards for, you know, um, internal audit methodology, right? And so they have produced uh, what they refer to as the international standards for the professional practices of internal auditing. And so this document, it, it details, you know, multiple standards that they require in order to conduct a um, an audit to their um, requirements, to their liking, I suppose, right? And so, you know, if you look at this document, there's the first part, you know, there, there's these attribute standards that really tell you how to set up an internal audit department, um, you know, that it, it needs to be independent and objective. They tell us that we have to have things like a charter. We have to report to somebody independent of the company, you know, such as the audit committee of the board. And then, you know, further down in that document, they have what they refer to as performance standards. And so then these standards really tell us, you know, things like how to conduct an audit. It states that, well, you know, for example, we have to have the right people, people who are competent and, and independent. And it tells us that we need to uh, you know, perform a risk assessment in order to derive an audit plan um, for the year. And then it tells us, you know, you got to, in each audit, 
you kick off, you get, you have to conduct a preliminary survey, really getting to understand the lay of the land, how you're going to develop your testing procedures, and then you can move into field work. And then it gets to reporting, right? And right. So this is, this is where it's relevant to our conversation. Yeah. Everybody's favorite part, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So standard 2400, it tells us, you know, in, in my opinion, pretty ambiguously, that we just have to communicate the results of the engagement. You know, it doesn't say that we have to create a report um, or, or generate any, you know, tangible results. It just says we have to report those findings and we have to communicate the results of the, um, of the engagement, right? And then 2410, standard 2410 goes on to say, final communication of the engagement results must include applicable conclusions as well as applicable recommendations and or action plans, fine, and where appropriate, internal audit opinion to be provided. And then they go on to provide an interpretation of that standard that just says, the formulation of such opinions require consideration of the engagement results and their significance. You know, so I really struggle with this. Like it, it says where appropriate we should provide our opinion. It doesn't say that you have to, you know, slap an overall rating on the front of the report. And so why I struggle with this, John, is in my experience, the assigning a, you know, a singular overall rating to an engagement is, is it presents many challenges, first of which, you know, let's say you've got a report and there are multiple high risk um, items, right? And those items um, derive from the area that you're auditing. But then I'm sure everybody's experienced this, everybody who's worked in audit long enough, you occasionally come across what I refer to as cross-functional observations. Do you identify an issue in the area that you're auditing that really began in an area downstream, right? right. And so the, let's say that that area downstream committed the error you were able to find it in the audit you're currently performing. Do you use that as a ding against the current engagement? You know, would that impact your overall rating? And so these are the type of things that you got to struggle with, right? And then furthermore, it's a challenge to um, the oddity. It's a challenge to get the oddity to agree with, you know, um, your assessment, right? So they're the people in operations doing the jobs every day and they go, that's not really a high risk issue. And then I say, hey, look, guys, you didn't follow policy. That's a high risk issue, whatever the case may be. And so you kind of got to do this dance, back and forth dance, back and forth dance. So let's say I want to call it, I don't know, I, I generally use like a three um, rating system where, you know, you could refer to an engagement as, well, let's say it's satisfactory, needs improvement, or unsatisfactory, right? And so let's say I initially were to come to the guy and say, I'm going to label this unsatisfactory. And you go, why? I think it's satisfactory. You only found this issue in, you know, one of 10 samples or whatever the case may be. And so you're really, you're doing a couple of things. First of all, you're derailing your audit timeline because that dance, in my experience, can take weeks sometimes, right? <laughs> and, and then, and then, is the issue still relevant after you've gone through that, you know, um, that dance back and forth? Um, right, right. So it can take a lot of time. And then it really, it erodes the relationship that you have established with that right. oddity, right? It can erode the relationship. And then that will make future reviews more challenging. Um, and then 
you know, another issue that I've come across, and I didn't really expect this. Um, I uh, started a new job with a with a with a finance organization, and uh, we were trying to get some additional funding through a uh, capital raise. And uh, they, of course, you know, rightly so, in their due diligence process, wanted to see our audit reports, and I had to hand over all of my predecessors' audit reports. And on the front of every single one of these audit reports was in red, bold, unsatisfactory risk rating or audit rating, right? Report rating. And so that's not a good look to hand over, you know, your audit reports to a, uh, you know, potential banking partner and everything is just labeled right on the front with no context whatsoever, right? And so they're going to look at that and go, oh right. man, this looks like a, a, a fire dumpster. They stay away. Right. Let's stay away, stay away from, from this. <laughs> so where's, where's the benefit, right? So I'm struggle. I've always struggled with really the, the tangible benefit of providing you know, a, an overall rating to a report, where does the benefit come from? So you might say, you know, you, your executive management team, like they, they're, these are busy people with the short attention spans in my experience, right? And so they don't want to read through a whole audit report. They just want to see that final result, but they don't really get the context of what all went into that rating. So to answer your question, this is, I guess, the longest way I possibly could have answered it. I've... Um, <laughs> I've really developed a system where we independently rate each observation, right? Uh-huh. We, we evaluate, you know, we perform like a little mini risk assessment on the observation itself. Like how many did we test? How many were exceptions? You know, uh, different, did it, ta- did it pass materiality threshold or, you know, rise to the level of, and then I apply those three risk ratings, satisfactory, needs improvement on satisfactory at that observation level, or, or I assign high risk, medium risk, low risk, right, at that operation level. And I have found that that has, in my experience, been profoundly uh, impactful in a, in a positive way because right. you can get the stakeholders to agree on individual observations pretty easy, right? You, yeah, especially, yep. if, especially if you're using like a, um, a document methodology, a documented methodology that everybody agrees on. Like, for example, and again, I'll just mention this, like, is it material? Um, you know, does it surpass a uh, percentage threshold that you have for, for errors, et cetera, et cetera. And so when you get down to that minuscule, like looking at it at a macro level, at the observation level itself, um, that becomes an easier conversation, in my experience, with the stakeholder and then makes its way into the report much faster, right? And so I realized that, you know, the perceived benefit of assigning an overall rating you know, maybe for executive management's um, benefit, doesn't necessarily provide executive management all the information they need to know. And so mm-hmm. what I've done, and, and I'm sure many people have, but I, you know, I, I created an executive summary at the front. And it says, you know, we had nine high-risk observations in this area. We had one high-risk area or observation that originated in a different area, right? And so you really got to tell the whole story in a short blurb, you know, something that's easily digestible by an executive. Right. Um, that gives them all the context they need to know what all went into that um, report. And, um, and that's kind of what I've got at the moment for, for, for responding to that question. I mean, it, it's been helpful yeah, yeah. to me. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you kind of answered, like, as you're talking about, like, you know, you're discussing the the rating of the report and like that dance, which is a slow dance and it erodes the relationship. As yeah. I was, as you're explaining that, I was thinking it makes total sense to rate just the observation, 
And, you know, why worry about uh, rating the report? And like you mentioned, you had a great example of if you rate the report and, you, you know, you're handing those reports to an outside party and it, right. all they see is the front page unsatisfactory. Like, you know, that's a dump. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm going to stay away from this company. So, but to your point, which was, you know, different stakeholders have different needs, right? So executive management, audit committee, board, they really want that information at a higher level. So you, you kind of provided the, the response to my follow-up question here, but I'll, but I'll still ask the, the executive summary. Is that the solution, like to provide that information to people at the higher level? Or do, do you have any other uh, possible solutions to, you know, let's say uh, board people, they're just old school and they're like, hey, I, I want the observation on the front, uh, you know, the rating on the front page. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what's the solution there for those for those users of the information? So, so that's a great question. Right. And so I'll start by saying that in my experience, the executive summary um, has really proven to be. has gotten me to where. I need to be in where, you know, my stakeholders need to be, the stakeholders being um, the audit committee. Now, I will say, you know, um, the audit committee, who we ultimately should report to, um, to your point, could be old school, just have different needs. And so I always tend to meet with the audit committee and, and first and understand what are you looking for information wise? What's easy to digest? I've had some people that are very engaged and they want like, you know, like observations at the like, what did you? Test uh, how many samples. Uh, what were the you know individual, um, I guess errors that you found, right? And so they they want that level of um, information. That's pretty um, rare. And then you've got the other folks that are though just you know give me give me a, a summary, summarize it for me, and and let's move on. Um, so the executive summaries work, and I'll I'll go back into. You know, the another issue I suppose that I've got with the individual risk rating, and I touched on it briefly, is if you just slap an overall rating onto um, the report, it doesn't, you know, fairly describe, in my opinion, the results of that engagement. It doesn't give the end user like an indication of how much work was performed, right? So it doesn't, you know, selfishly, I, I want people to know like the work that my team has put forward. Mm -hmm. And how we arrived at those results. And I think you need to make somebody responsible to themselves for um, understanding that con that context. You've got to make them read more than that one word. Like we looked at this many transactions across this period. So they, they really get an understanding of the value that you are adding to the organization. And then further, you know, I've never really seen, unless it's, you know, a, a fantastic audit and you, you're just happy to say that this is, you know, um, meets whatever it, it meets expectations or it's satisfactory. We're going to call it, um, unless, unless that's the case for the auditee, you know, if it's also not fair to them because you're not accurately describing um, the level of effort they've put forth, not only not in the engagement but just in in their job and like how well they do their job outside of the observations that you found. You're just pointing out, you know, let's say we looked at a hundred things three things failed. That's the only thing that makes it into the audit report. Mm -hmm. That's not fair. Right. And, and, right, right. and it's not fair to slap an unsatisfactory label on, on that. And so how do you capture the rest of that? In my opinion, it's through the executive summary. We looked at a hundred things, only found three things wrong. That's more context than 
unsatisfactory, right? right? Because right. we found these right. things, these are high level issues. So I think by, again, going, you know, assigning a single rating, you're, you're doing yourself and the auditee a disservice. Um, and so I really have, you know, the executive summary um, is where I invest a lot of time. Mine are probably longer than most. I try to keep it at, you know, a page, um, a few paragraphs where, where I can, but I really do think it's important to provide the context to the reader. Otherwise, they're not going to dig in. You're right. They're not going to dig into the details of each observation, generally speaking. Uh, I have some that I have had, you know, stakeholders that do do that, um, but generally speaking, they don't. And so um, they don't get all the context that I think is needed to fairly uh, provide an assessment of the area, unless you force them to read more than just that overall rating. Right. Yeah. 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 Definitely. You have to have the, the you know, the data or the uh, the support to back it up. Right. The the conclusion that you arrived at. So I think that's that's a good point. Uh, switching gears here a little bit, but kind of related question too. Uh, and this is just from my personal experience in you know auditing uh, operations here in the U.S. and abroad. Sometimes maybe. You know, we had more trusting management in certain areas versus other. Should the confidence that you have in management, in them like addressing issues that uh, you bring up, should that play a role in how you rate their reports? So let me understand, make sure I understand the question. <clears throat> is this really related to their response saying, okay, we're going to fix this and therefore you should reduce the rating. Like I'll get this fixed tomorrow. And, and you, you take that in consideration to potentially reduce the risk or, or excuse me, the rating. Yeah. I would say like their, their proactiveness during the audit, maybe of like, yeah. yeah, Oh, this is something that we, you know, we identify, we were working on or something that if it is a surprise to them, they're like, yes, agree. We're going to work on it. Should that, the, the, uh, the confidence that internal audit has in management executing something yeah. play a role into how you rate the report? Uh, you know, John, I'd love to say yes to this, but I've seen that approach fail multiple times, right? And so uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. I won't use anybody's last name, but um, we had a SVP of, you know, an operational area in an organization and um, very proactive, very engaged in the review as, as one would hope. Um, and then, you know, when it came time to you know, put together the management action plans, you know, th th that confidence uh, that you're talking about sort of um, it, he was exuding confidence and oh this is something that i can get fixed tomorrow right i can this is a uh, this is a coding issue i can take care of this tomorrow well guess what tomorrow turned out to be six months right and that <laughs> happens over and over again and I, i'll give you another right. uh, another right. another example and this one mm, more impactful perhaps so i personally witnessed a, um, a very confident controller. This guy was at an organization for 20 years, right? He's a controller for 20 years. Uh, he ended up embezzling $19 million over the last nine years he was there. Wow. And he was able to do that despite being audited internally and externally by a big four firm due to, you know, the perceived confidence that everybody had in this individual. 
right? It's uh-huh, been there uh-huh. for a long time. So what happened though was, you know, at about the 10 or 11 year mark, he was passed up for a promotion um, to the CFO role. And so that's when he began his embezzlement scheme. But because he'd been there so long and everybody trusted in this individual, uh-huh. um, he was allowed to create vendors. He was allowed to um, establish pre-approved wire authorization forms with the CEO and CFO's signature, which I think is kind of ironic. And then he was also allowed to execute those wires, right? And so which he, uh, behind the scenes, conveniently, was transferring to his own personal bank account, right? And so you can have all the confidence in the world in somebody that they're going to do the right thing. But I have personally been let down professionally more times <laughs> than you know I can count. And so right, right. I, I would I would stay away from you know taking into consideration your perceived confidence in an individual. Yeah. yeah. Whether regardless of you know whether it's you know rating an observation or you know an individual testing. Uh, you know I just Unfortunately, I've lost some faith in my fellow <laughs> colleagues along the way. And, and again, I'll, I'll just revisit that and say, I'd like to say, yes, you, you should take into consideration your confidence in somebody. But, you know, um, you hear stories all the time about right. Miss, you know, little Miss Susie, 67 year old um, lady who embezzled, you know, $500,000 from a church, right? For example. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, in our role, unfortunately, you know, you, you, you can't, um, you can't let that yeah. perceived confidence dilute your independence or objectivity. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good answer. And I, you know, just continue to be skeptical. Right. I think that's the, the message. Right. <laughs> Trust, but verify, you know, I don't know who created or just came up with that statement, um, but it, it, it is absolutely a hundred percent required in our, in our field. Yeah, and those were good examples, uh, great examples. So uh, talking about the uh, specific or individual findings from a report or from a, from a project, should we ever have a tracking mechanism for findings that are important? You know, maybe there's, maybe not like truly like material to the entire enterprise, but they're important uh, but they don't make it to the final report. Should we have a tracking mechanism for that? Yeah. So I, I refer to these as uh, process improvements or improvement opportunities. Right. Know, right. Um, yeah. Them, right. So these are yeah. nice to haves, but you know, right. don't uh, don't directly impact the results of the uh, the audit engagement. So you know, if your audit team has the resources and um, and you're able, I'd, I'd recommend you know tracking them to some extent. But on the other hand. I might also caution against this um, simply because, you know, the auditees are likely, you know, already suffering from audit fatigue and they're, you know, mm-hmm. they've been reviewed and, and now they're busy addressing those observations that did make the report. Do you want to keep pestering them with, hey, when are you going to make this improvement? So I, I would say, you know, put it on a, you know, notepad as a bullet point you know, quarterly when you check in with that person. And that's something I recommend doing. Look, checking in with your mm-hmm. stakeholders outside mm-hmm. of being audited, but just say, hey, yeah. you know, last time we talked, um, we thought about, you know, enhancing uh, the functionality of this, you know, system. Have you been able to accomplish that? That type of thing. So don't, I wouldn't yeah. formally, you know, like, yeah. hey, this is our weekly check-in. Have you done yeah. this? Because they're going to get upset, right? And again, yeah. Yeah. 
that could, could dilute or, 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 you know, um, it could erode the the relationship a bit and and you want those people you know um to be responsive to you and not just think you're coming at them like constantly about things that would be nice to have so that's a man that's a, that's individual by individual organization right. by organization you know, if you got the resources and then you find it you know a value add potentially but um you got to really weigh the benefit versus you know the potential erosion of the relationship or whatever other negative you know implications that might have i don't know yeah. 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 I think that's a good, it's a good, good approach, you know, make it informal. Maybe it's just a, you know, it's a, an excuse for you to talk to that person and maybe you can exactly. uh, learn like, you know, other risks that have come up and so forth. So exactly. So, but, but I will, I, I do actually put those as an appendix in the back of the report, just as a, um, Hey, it just as a, basically a CYA, right? So it's like anything ever exploded, and they were like, why didn't we, you know, catch that or whatever? I can point back to that audit report and say, hey, actually, you know, we, we raised this issue. Okay. You know, we raised that um, topic, whatever you want to call it, um, back in, you know, September last year as a, hey, you know, we, we should do this kind of thing. So don't point at audit and think we didn't, you know, have thoughts about it. Um, so anyway, I, I, I put them in the very back, just as improvement opportunities. And, uh, and it's also a way to like, re when you audit the, um, the, whatever the, the, the process in the future, you know, I always, hopefully everybody does I go back and revisit the previous audit and you're like, Oh yeah, that was in there that these process improvements want to ask the question, see where we've right. what progress we might've made towards that. So, um, Yes and no, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it depends, right? Uh, yeah, a lot of the it, it's situational, right? That's so, exactly let, right. yeah, let, last question here, because uh, you know usually, and I, I've worked in organizations where they have a, a, an action plan where they call it it's it's a you know joint action plan, but the internal auditor is coming up with the action plan. It's not the auditee, which I don't think it's the best practice. Best practice should be for the uh, the auditee to come up with the with the action plan themselves. You know, maybe we can provide a recommendation, but the the action plan should be coming from them. So, question there would be: Let's say you go through an audit, you find something, you report, you have a recommended action plan, you send it to them for feedback. They get back to you with the management action plan that does not cover at all mm -hmm. the risk that you identify. Yep. How do yep. you address that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and um, it's a scenario that unfortunately happens more than uh, I'd like, more than probably most people like, because it because it becomes a, a point of contention or or a conflict, right? So, um, yes, there should always be room for compromise. Actually, before I go down that route, to I have a couple of thoughts on this. Um, I personally um, take the time to craft a proposed management action plan because mm -hmm. in my experience it tends to speed up the response time right right maybe right. so they're, they're like this looks great we well, can commit to this and but i always tell them i say hey look i these are proposed this is your area i've done you a favor i've done you a favor by you know putting this information in here but you own this response um section you need to word this however you like and and because i've already got you started i'd like to have the results or your responses by uh next Wednesday, which is the week from today, or whatever the case may be, right? right. So it, 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 it puts a little bit more onus on them, I think. But you've started the process, you, you, you've shown them that, you know, 
in good faith. I've, I've, I've done some part for you to help expedite this process. Anyway, okay, so getting back to um, them providing a response that <laughs> doesn't quite, <laughs> you know, hit the nail on the head. So right. there should always be room for compromise, but you have to use your own discretion and um, rely upon your own experience to determine how much compromise you're willing to make, right? So I've had, you know, high-risk observations that were, in my opinion, high-risk observations, and um, the process center comes back and they, you know, and I provide a, a proposed plan or response, action plan, and yep. the process center comes back and basically tells me to go ahead and pound stand, right? Like, uh, we're not going to do that. That's not a big deal. Okay. So that you absolutely have to escalate those um, situations. And I'd like to do this before I issue the audit report. I don't ever want to issue an audit report that, you know, doesn't, uh -huh. doesn't, um, in my opinion, uh, effectively address the, the issues that you've raised. So this is that stance you've got to do again. But the way that I approach this is I escalate it. I say, okay, look, Scott, process owner, you, you, you're telling me to pound sand. I've got to escalate this to my boss. I've got to, if I do your responsibility to the organization, I've got to escalate it to my boss and I'm going to escalate it to your boss. Or I'll let you do the honor. You can escalate it to your boss yourself, right? But we're going to have to escalate this to our bosses to get this figured out. And then hopefully they can get the bosses, you know, your, your, your senior um, executives, whatever, can get this sorted out to a place that you're agreeable with. Now, I've seen this happen a couple of times <laughs> where it doesn't, right? Where now senior management is going, mm, don't really think that's a risk or we're, we're, we are willing to um, accept that risk. Yeah. And I have seen a couple of times where the auditor will then go to the audit committee and raise that risk or raise that concern. And um, I've got to tell you, it's a bit of a tight <laughs> rope you're walking, right? If you uh -huh, uh -huh. escalate an observation outside of the organization out to an audit committee member, um, I, I've literally seen people lose their jobs over this. If you if you feel that um, right. strongly about it, so that is an interesting question, John, and and it's one that you know you hope you can first sort out with the process owner on your own quietly, right? Like, hey, Scott, mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mm -hmm. really get me where I need to be, so I need you to now start walking towards me, right? Like, I'm I'm walking your direction, you need to start walking mine, and if we can't, then I got to escalate it. Hopefully that gets us some sense of resolution. If that doesn't, then you got to escalate it further. And, and then that becomes a little, or excuse me, like potentially like career suicide in, yeah, in some yeah. cases. But, yeah. you know, we are, you know, those of us that are certified internal auditors, you know, we, um, we, I, I, for lack of a better term, I don't know, we, we say that we're going to be and remain independent and objective. and. Um, that's an important factor of our uh, profession. So, you know, you really have to take that seriously. Right, right. I mean, I, I, I think at the end of the day, report rating, you know, even though the topic of discussion here was report rating, is a whole lot more about just relationships, right? See, there you go. <laughs> that, that's why, and that's why I wrote an article yeah. about it, John, because, you know, on the surface to those executives yeah. that receive the report and they just see that, you know, that, that whatever overall rating on the, the cover, they don't know about all of this other, you know, behind the scenes activity yeah, yeah. and potentially, you know, the 
turmoil, the pushing and pulling to get to that end stage. And so I think it's important for them to understand that that is the case, that, you know, um, that that amount of work went into this deliverable, right? Whatever that deliverable is. But, um, and if you don't, and if you just slap a, a, you know, a rating on it, it, it's really missed, you know? Um, and I, and I do think it's important to make them aware of all this behind the scenes activity and considerations and, and things that you have to do to get to that point. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, for all those reasons, I've over the last 10 years, uh, only in rated individual observations and provided an executive summary that, you know, I hope provides enough context to the end reader so that they get the full story of what we did and what the outcome was. And, um, and an individual word or rating isn't going to provide that to somebody. Yeah. 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 It helps with relationships at the end of the day. So really appreciate your time, Chris, on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you on. Uh, just le- very last question. What's the best way for people to uh, connect with you if they want to, you know, chat with you about the topic or just uh, yeah. learn about what you're doing? All right, man. So um, LinkedIn obviously is my primary networking tool. You can find me at Chris Patrick. Um, and otherwise, you know, I'm pretty active in the IA, so I attend, um, you know, the annual GAM conferences and things of that nature. So if you see me, please come and say hi. I'm happy to talk to anybody more about this topic or, or any other um, topics that I might have experience with. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. John, thanks for having me, man. Pleasure's all mine. Take care.